in accounting. The Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. This song called The Electric Slide, just bump your left leg three times and your right leg two times or whatever. Well, we I'll play that when we're learning debits and credits. And so instead of saying left, they're saying debit. Instead of saying right, they're saying credit. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life and Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from John Bryan, a current CPA that entered the teaching profession many years ago and now teaches in the Houston, Texas area. I mentioned this in the beginning of the interview as well, but just to make sure it's noted, John had a big impact on one of our former guests and their own career path, Rubik Yerizarian. You may remember Rubik from a few episodes ago. He's a forensic accounting professional there in the Houston, Texas area as well. John's own story is very interesting in and of itself, though. We'll get into how he decided to transition from the audit field into teaching, as well as some of his advice on how to best make sure we're engaging effectively and serving the generation that will soon be our core workforce in only a few years from now. I think you're going to find this episode truly fascinating. John has a great story. If you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online. Our site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career-focused materials. We have books, we have blogs, and of course, we have other podcasts and even a few tools for employers there as well. Once again, that site is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's John Bryan. Well, hello, John. Thank you for scheduling this today. Hello, Mark. It's my pleasure. Wonderful. Well, for our audience, this is going to be a unique program because our guest, John Bryan, started out his career as an accountant and is a CPA, in fact, but now is teaching high school. I invite him on the show because John was a major influencer in the career of one of our former guests, Rubik Yerazarian, which that was just a few weeks ago, actually. And I figured you, John, would have some great insights for us, both on career direction, but also on the next generation coming into the workforce, so to speak, which will benefit us all. I've got a lot of things that I want to cover on this episode, but I always like to start at the beginning so the audience you know, gets an understanding of how your career progressed and how you moved through each step to where you are today. What initially led you to think that accounting might be a good career to pursue in the first place? Well, growing up, I had always enjoyed my math classes. And although I was good in my science classes, I couldn't stand the sight of blood. So I knew I was ruling out the whole becoming a doctor. And while I was in high school, I have a sister who's about six years older than me that was majoring in accounting in college. And I didn't know much about accounting, but I knew there was math involved. And so my junior year in high school, I took my first accounting course and found out that I was pretty good at it. I enjoyed it. I still remember my teacher. And one of the things as I was thinking about my 
first accounting class that still stands out. She had the old 10-key calculators that had the ribbon, you know, when the numbers were printed out. And so I learned how to use a 10-key in that class and just really enjoyed accounting. I remember then my senior year came along and my teacher was heartbroken when I chose to take a photography class instead of accounting too. Um, <laughs> but I tried to tell her, well, I'm planning on majoring in accounting, but I don't think that quite appeased her. So that's kind of where my interest was peaked. When I graduated from high school, my dad had been in sales and my brother was in sales. And so after high school, I had just a summer job. I was actually a telemarketer for a carpet cleaning business. And I quickly learned that I did not have the sales gene from my dad and my brother had. That was not for me. So I headed off to A&M and took my first accounting course. It was actually the intro to accounting. I think it was the spring semester of my freshman year. I don't know if I was a little ahead on that, but after having taken the course in high school, it seemed pretty easy to me. I remember people's heads swimming with debits and credits, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty, seemed to come naturally to me. And so I really just never wavered from there. For I stuck with accounting my Let's see. Since I think I had started my accounting courses a little bit early, I was done with my second intermediate accounting course the fall of my junior year. And so if you wanted to get an internship, you had to have both your intermediate courses done. And so since I had finished those, I was looking for an internship for the spring semester of my junior year. And at that time, the only of the... I think it was still the big eight at that time. The only big eight accounting firm that would hire interns for the spring semester was Price Waterhouse. So I, they had come up and interviewed and I got an internship. I think there were two of us that interned with Price Waterhouse during that spring semester. And we went through training with everybody that had graduated in December. We did the new hire training and worked from January through May of that semester. So I got to see my first busy season as an intern and we worked hard, but then We also got some of the perks that the other staff auditors didn't like getting to go eat lunch with the partners and they did wine and dine us while we were working. And there were, I know there were evenings when everybody else was working later. They said they let the interns cut out a little bit earlier, but yeah, I finished up that internship with PW and by the end of it, they had made me an offer. So I went back for my senior year and already had an offer with Pricewaterhouse. Interesting. How long were you at? Pricewaterhouse, and how do you feel that experience benefited you? Like I said, I went back and when I graduated, I worked for them for two years after graduation. And the great thing with Pricewaterhouse is I was just exposed to a lot of different industries. You know, being in Houston, I worked a lot on oil and gas clients, but worked on some healthcare, some banking, some manufacturing. So got to see some different industries. Now, when I was working on the oil and gas, you know, I might just be working on a small part of the upstream or a small part of the downstream. So I didn't always get to see the whole picture, but it did give me some good exposure. But then the other thing is that was my first professional job. So they taught us how to dress professionally, how to, you know, learn how to act around clients. I had different managers, different seniors that I worked under. So learning to work just under different management styles. And then also, I got to help out with the recruiting and go back to A&M and do recruiting. So then that helped me later on in my career when I was having to looking to hire auditors with my next job. Yeah, mentioning your next job. Actually, I want to make sure we get to that because 
We've had a couple guests that worked in internal audit, but that's, you know, in over a hundred podcasts. So we really haven't hit on internal audit too much. And I'm assuming you're talking about the Cisco position, right? You were an internal yes. audit. Okay. Yes. Okay. I worked in yeah, how- Cisco's internal audit for nine years. Okay. How'd you get that opportunity and you know, how'd you make that transition and what'd you learn during that time? Well, I remember there was I was working on a client with Pricewaterhouse one evening and it was probably late into the evening and I got a call from a recruiter saying, we heard you might be interested in an opportunity. And I was like, really? How'd you hear that? No. And they said, well, here's my name and number. And if you change your mind or if you think somebody else might be interested, please pass it along. So continued to work late late that evening and then thought more about it. And I said, you know, maybe I would like to explore some other opportunities. And so they put me in t- they had two interviews. One was with an oil and gas company, and then the other one was with Cisco. And the, so it happened the oil and gas interview didn't work out, but the Cisco interview, you know, sometimes you hear it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I did a good friend of my, the older sister that had been in accounting, a good friend of hers from high school was working at Cisco. And so I was able to use her as one of my references. But I got this staff auditor job with Cisco. And I just, I remember the first day walking in, it felt different because I felt like I was finally a part of the company that I was coming in to try to help with my auditing skills. I was no longer an outsider coming in and making suggestions. You know, the suggestions I was going to be making were helping my own companies. I remember distinctly, even though that was a, was a long time ago, we're talking 1993, I still remember that feeling of being a part of something that I was helping. What do you feel that you had to come up to speed on? Because I found with some individuals, when they make that transition, you're coming in thinking, you know, I'm an auditor. This, this is an audit job. This can be a piece of cake. But then it's a different audit role. All right, what was different about it? In what way did you need to change or adjust to being internal <laughs> with the company? Yes. Well, we definitely seem to focus more on some of the companies that we were auditing were a lot smaller than the clients I had been. You know, I remember being on an oil and gas client with Pricewaterhouse and we had a materiality level of like a million dollars. <laughs> Whereas we're going to some of these smaller Cisco operating companies and, you know, we're looking at the, you know, reconciliations for all the accounts. We're going into the warehouse and we're looking at OSHA guidelines to make sure they're following OSHA guidelines. We're going in we're looking at their driver's files and making sure they're following Department of Transportation regulations. And so I feel like we were getting a little bit more into a little bit more detailed maybe on some of the things that we weren't focusing on, or at least I wasn't focusing on, on my PW audits. The other thing is, you know, we Pricewaterhouse, we'd be at a client for months, whereas with Cisco, with internal audit, we would travel to one of our operating companies and we'd be in and out within two weeks. So we had two weeks to do it. We'd usually send about five auditors. And so we had to get it all done in that time. But I enjoyed being able to see the entire operation while we were out there. By the end of the two weeks on the final day, the final Friday, we would have a closing meeting with management of the company, the, the president of that fiscal operating company and the CFO and you know the VPs of the different departments, the, the merchandising. And we would sit down with them and we'd present our audit findings and go through a report. And if there were any things that uh, we needed to talk about or clarify, we'd get that hashed out. But that was, was different. I got to be a part of that closing meeting as well. I felt like I was seeing the whole operation and getting a better handle on the whole operation. 
definitely you're seeing things in a lot more depth and not just moving on <laughs> client to client. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Well, take us through the decision-making process to become a teacher. I mean, what, I guess, what planted that idea in your mind in the first place? And take us through that time in your life. Okay. I come from a pretty large family. I have five sisters and one brother. And so I am the second youngest. And so I have lots of nieces and nephews. I mean, by the time I was then, I was already an uncle. So I was used to being around lots of nieces and nephews. And so I've always enjoyed kids and being around kids. I remember in my 20s, we'd have family gatherings. And sometimes I'd be hanging out with the kids more than I would be with the adults. And at Cisco, I remember we started this mentoring program where we paired up with an elementary school. It was in an area that, you know, didn't have a lot of money. And so we were paired up with a student and we would go and mentor them and eat lunch with them. And I remember doing that and I really enjoyed it. That was kind of the first time that I had been back to schools and just kind of a, it sounds weird, but I remember walking into the school and I almost felt as if I was at home. And it's hard to explain, but it kind of felt like I was back where I belonged. But I didn't really think about that. I had a good job with Cisco. and I was moving up the ranks with Cisco. Well, then about, let's see, I guess it was about 97, I was at church one day and they're asking for people to help teach their faith formation classes. They said, you know, for all of those of you that always thought about teaching but never got a chance, why don't you come check out after Mass? And so I went and I signed up for a class and they said, well, what grade would you like to teach? And I said, I don't care. What what do you think? And so they gave me a 10th grade class. And, you know, this was the first time I'd been in the classroom on that side of it. And I kind of bumbled my way through the year, but I really enjoyed it. By the end of the year, I remember at the very end, it was the last class and we kind of had a party and everybody left. And then after everybody left, one of the boys came back and he's just, he said, Mr. Brian, I just want to thank you for being our teacher. And he gave me, I don't know, it's like maybe a $5 Starbucks gift card or something like that. But I was just hooked. You know, I wasn't sure if I had done a great job and just that simple gesture, I was like, okay, I guess maybe I helped make a difference. And so then I started getting more involved and started helping out with more with the youth ministry. And we started going on mission trips. And the more I got involved, the more I realized I really enjoy working with these teenagers. And there was a a friend of mine. She was an English teacher at a high school in our district at the time. And she was also helping out at our church. And she said, you know, if you wanted to get more involved with teaching, they have this alternative certification process where you can get certified to teach subjects related to your degree. And, you know, my first instinct was, well, you know, I'm, I'm working full time. I can't just quit my job and go back to college. So no, look into it. So I did. And they offered these alternative certification programs, offered classes where you could take classes in the evening and they were to teach you about how to do lesson planning, classroom management, things like that. And so I was like, well, I could probably swing this because there was a class on Tuesday evenings, a class on Thursday evenings, and then for about five hours on a Saturday. And so I took those classes. It was for a semester. And once you finished with those classes, then you also had to have some in-classroom observation. So I would use some vacation days and did some classroom observations at, at different high schools in our district. I'm in the KDISD district. And then after that, you had to have some student teaching. And back then, it, it again, it wasn't a whole lot. It was maybe 20 hours. And so I really enjoyed Cinco Ranch High School, which is where I am right now. I enjoyed the, the teachers that I worked with. And so I was able to work out some student teaching here by taking some more vacation days. 
And then once I did that, I had gotten my certification and then I just had to get hired. And again, I interviewed here at, at Cinco Ranch High School and got the job. Wow. <laughs> you had a string of the right people in your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. In fact, the principal secretary at the time, she's since moved on and that principal's moved on, but the principal's secretary, I knew through church. And so again, a little bit of, you know, it's who you know, she was able to pass my resume on to the principal. And here I am 17 years later, still going strong. Okay. I was about to ask you. So it's been 17 years. Wow. Okay. Yes. Have you been teaching high school the whole time? I have. I've okay. taught a bunch of different classes. My first year, it was pretty hectic. I had five preps is what you call it. When you teach a class, you know, some teachers might teach the same class all day. So they have one prep. Some teachers might teach two different classes throughout the day. So they have two preps. I had five preps my first year. And when I told people that, that knew about education, they said, are you serious? I said, yeah, why is that tough? (laughs) I found out it was pretty challenging. I think I was teaching accounting one and accounting two, but I only had four accounting two students that year. So they put those accounting two students in with my accounting one class. I had a record-keeping class. I had a business law class and a, I think it was like a introduction to business type class. And so my head was swimming. I I was up here until, you know, till the custodians were shooing me out in the evenings, you know, 10, 30, 11 at night sometimes. And then I'd go home and I'd be back up here as soon as I could in the morning. But one of the Saving Grace is another sister. I told you I have a bunch of sisters. <laughs> another sister and her husband, my brother-in-law, had just moved back from Trinidad and they were he had an overseas assignment with an oil and gas company. They were building a house. So that year they lived with me in my house while they were building their house. And so my sister was cooking for me and doing my laundry and sending me with lunches. And so she was even helping me grade that first year. So I, I think that helped. But you know, I, I just it was even though I was working a ton of hours, kind of like a, well, I was when I was in busy season in public accounting. I just was having a great time. And I, I, you know, I still enjoy myself. Luckily, I'm not working those kind of hours anymore. But yeah, I knew I found a calling. I have to ask you, because you're naming off a lot of different business courses. Are you at a magnet school or are you at a typical high school? I'm at a typical high school. Now, okay. we over the years, you know, some of those courses, we don't offer the record keeping course anymore, but the courses have changed. I've always stuck with my tried and true. I've had accounting every year. Also, I'm teaching, it's called Dollars and Cents, but it's like a personal finance class. I use Dave Ramsey's personal finance, foundations and personal finance. And that's a great class. I wish it was required for all the kids, but yeah, they learn budgeting and saving and investing and just all kinds of great skills. And then I also teach currently an entrepreneurship class. And I have the kids, they start their own company where they have to, they sell stock in the company for $2 a share and we sell 75 shares. It's the JA company program. And so they start their own company. They sell 75 shares of stock at $2 a share. So they raise $150 in capital and then they figure out if they want to make a product or buy a product and resell it. And it's just a great example. They get to, they elect officers of the company. Uh, We have a president and we have five VPs. And right now we're just at the stage where we figured out what we want to sell. And so we're working on our business plan right now and then we'll go from there. And then at the end of the year, we'll liquidate the company and they get paid. Not a whole lot. The officers are getting paid $2 a meeting and the employees are getting paid about 50 cents a meeting. And then whatever money is left goes back to the stockholders and 
they're excited about that because I shared with them, it's not a guaranteed return, but we've had stockholders on their $2 share of stock. We've had stockholders make up to $13 a share before. So they're excited about that. Wow. (laughs) I just had one bookkeeping class in high school and that was the only option. That's why I'm just amazed. That is neat. One of the things I wanted to ask you, because I believe you said that you've maintained your CPA certificate, right? Yes, I have. Okay. That's interesting to me after 17 years. I mean, I'm a CPA and I see a lot of value in the certification, but I'm not a teacher. So I'm curious, why have you chosen to do that? Well, it was so hard to get. When I finally got it, I decided I'm not letting this go. When I was with Pricewaterhouse, we had to sit for it every go-round. But I remember I was working so much and probably when I wasn't working, I was probably playing so much, but I wasn't studying much for it. And so when I started working for Cisco, I didn't have to sit for it anymore, but I, I knew I wanted to to pass it. And so that's when I finally started studying and that's when I finally passed it. <laughs> go figure. But once I got it, then I wasn't letting go of it. And even even though when I left industry and went into education, I was paying the dues myself. I just decided, you know, if I don't stay in education forever, I want to make sure I maintain my CPA. And so I have all these years and now it's nice that Texas has dropped the annual dues. But yeah, it was, you know, I, I worked so hard to get it. I just couldn't let it go. Yeah, the state society did some lobbying and the dues went from 260, 270 down to, I think, maybe 65, 68. Yes. Like that annually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot nicer. <laughs> Yeah, when you're in the industry, you can run that through on an expense report, but that, that's not quite possible in education. <laughs> well, I think you should hold on to the certification as well. It's just it's interesting because not everybody chooses that, and I sort of feel the same way you do. You work so hard to pass, you just you never want to let it go. You know, you feel like keeping your certificate in your back pocket. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't want it to go anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking of the state society, I'm involved at the state level in Texas, and one of the topics that comes up frequently, a lot because of our current demographics in the U.S., is just the future of the accounting profession and the labor force. And accounting can be a wonderful career, but communicating that you know, to younger individuals is a little bit of a challenge sometimes. How do you feel that maybe the profession itself could promote the field better in schools? How can we do a better job of showing how great a career it can be? Yes. Well, one of the things is by trying to contact the schools. And I'm also one of the advisors for Future Business Leaders of America, FBLA. And we have an accounting competition and we also have meetings where we'll, we'll bring in guest speakers. And you mentioned Rubik. He was one of my students my first year teaching way back in 2002, 2003. Rubik has come back every year. He's been great and talked to my accounting classes. And so when he graduated and went to U of H, he would come back every year for four years and he would talk about life in college. And then when he went to go work for KPMG, he would come back and talk about life in public accounting. And so I think that was a great way for kids to hear, you know, I'd share my experiences, but I was their teacher. And so to hear from somebody who wasn't their teacher. And so, you know, connecting with the local schools and going back and, you know, 
rubrics in forensic accounting, as you know from the interview, I've got a student who was a junior last year in my accounting course. And I just heard him saying the other day that he wants to be a forensic accountant because he heard Rubik talk to my class and thought that sounded really exciting. And I tell Rubik every time, I wish somebody like, well, I don't know, I guess we really didn't have forensic accounting back then, but I might have chosen a different path if I had had somebody come and talk to me about forensic accounting because it just sounds so interesting. But I would say getting in touch with the schools and Rubik's also with the Houston CPA Society and they contact us as well. and. FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America, we have conferences. We have our state conference coming up in March in downtown Houston. And so we always need speakers and we need workshops and we need judges. And so Rubik's put out the word to the Houston CPA Society. And so we'll get some judges from there and potentially even speakers. Rubik's, he's been great at giving back. He's put on workshops for us and even traveled with us. One time we were in nationals, was out in California, Anaheim, California, and he flew out there just to put on a workshop at the FBLA National Conference. So that's another way to stay involved. I know KPMG is usually at the National Conference. They'll put on some workshops and have a booth set up so the kids get to hear about accounting and life as a CPA through that as well. And then also Another way is the AICPA has some great resources that they'll share with us too. And so from they've got a website and then there's different materials. So that helps with the promoting as well. Okay. Yeah, I really think we need to do a better job at the high school level because there's a lot of focus at the college level, which also needs to happen. But through doing these podcasts, I recorded well over 100, I think it's 115 or so now, through doing these podcasts, I found a large percentage of successful accountants now decided back in high school, sort of like you mm-hmm. did, you know, that accounting was going to be their profession. And so obviously that's a good time to, to be, you know, spreading the word. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Rubik's I, not only generous with his time, he's a good communicator as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. He's got a good yes. sense of humor. Yeah. And you started to say something else. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that me being a CPA and I don't know if other accounting teachers take advantage of the resources like the Rubik's and the Houston CPA Society and, and things like, or the AICPA as much as, as I do. So maybe trying to, you know, take the initiative to, if you do have, you know, a local high school and contacting the accounting teacher and saying, hey, I'd like to help out in any way I could, because it's always great to bring in or the local FBLA chapter, or, you know, if they don't have a, there's also BPA. Uh, it's one of our competitors. <laughs> Business Professionals of America, I think. That's another organization. So I mean, if you contact the accounting teacher, they probably, at the high school, they could probably tell you and bring you in for, for one of their, either their FBLA meetings or bring you to their class just to speak at the class. Okay. You know, for any employers that may listen to this, employers of these future accountants, what do you feel we need to know about the generation going through high school now, you know, either from the standpoint of employing them, you know, later on, or just from the communication standpoint, what do you feel we need to know? What advice would you have? Well, probably the biggest change I've seen over the last, you know, 17 years that kids are just as as smart as they've always been. It's just the cell phones. (laughs) The kids you know, these kids have grown up with cell phones. Back when I started teaching, you know, 
the kids didn't have cell phones with them. And this generation, they are just tied to their cell phones. You know, you ask them to put it away and five minutes later, it's back out on their desk. And then you either, you know, either have to take it up or stop the class, you know, or get them to put it away. And so cell phones can also create ethical issues because, you know, kids can now use them to cheat, which that was not an option back in the day when cell phones weren't so predominant, whether it's just taking a picture of homework and sharing or so. I'm not saying that all the kids cheat these days, but sometimes they just don't even think twice of, you know, snapping a picture of something or whatever. And so one of the things that I always try to focus on is really stressing ethics. And I'll share stories of how people have gotten in trouble in the, you know, firsthand when I've been auditing, seeing people that were, you know, doing unethical things or articles that I've read. And so really trying to stress the ethics. And so you know, today's generation, I wouldn't say that they're not as ethical, but I just think that we need to continue to stress ethics and make sure that they understand that, you know, downloading music for free is, again, that's not ethical <laughs> if you're not paying for it. Now, if, if you're listening to, a, you know, a streaming, that's different, but some things that they don't even think about being unethical, just pointing those things out to them. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, technology has made many things possible, but just because it's possible doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and yeah, learning to make those choices is very important. Sure. I can see where you're going with that. Definitely. They are great with technology. So that's, and they're not afraid to try things out and, you know, I'll have them do something in Excel and they've never used it before, but they'll, if they haven't used it before, they'll try something and, and figure it out. So. Sure. It's more so, yeah, natural. They, they aren't afraid. Definitely. Well, turning it around a little bit, I'm curious if you could go back in time and give you, you know, give your younger self one piece of advice. What do you think that might be? I would say, especially to myself, when I was just interning at Pricewaterhouse and graduating, going to work full time, don't be afraid. You don't have to know everything. You're brand new to this job and it's okay to say that you don't know. And really, that's true in any job. And when I have, well, going back, I remember I was thinking I had to know everything. I, I remember this one audit this when I was with PW and, and the client was explaining something to me and I didn't understand. And so they said, does that make sense? Because they probably saw that I didn't understand. I said, oh, yeah. And I went back to my senior and explained to him. And he said, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I said, I know. And <laughs> he looked at me like I had two heads and he said, well, then why didn't you ask him about it? And I was like, Oh, yeah, I should have said that. I didn't understand. So you said, well, go back. And so then you got to go back with your tail between your legs and said, no, I didn't really understand. And you're bothering the client again. And so there's nothing wrong with, I tell this to my students all the time, and I'll share the same story. I said, if you don't understand something, that's okay to just explain. And if somebody has, you know, doesn't want to explain it to you or, you know, they have a problem with that, well, that's their problem. But it's okay to say you don't understand something. And once that, finally clicked for me, I became a much better auditor if somebody was explaining something and I didn't understand it or just, I, you know, just wasn't grasping something. Yeah. That's a lesson we all have to learn in our career. And it's usually a hit to our pride in the beginning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess if I, another piece of advice I would give myself is, you know, just be yourself. It took me a long time to realize I have a you know, a goofy sense of humor and I like to be goofy. And I remember I hit that stage probably in high school when you're, you know, you're trying to impress and people and whatever, but 
it's okay to laugh at yourself. And I have a good time with my classes because we're learning debits and credits. And you, I don't know if you know, there's this song called The Electric Slide, but you stomp your left leg three times and your right leg two times or whatever. Well, we, I'll play that when we're learning debits and credits. And so instead of saying left, they're saying debit. Instead of saying right, they're saying credit. But I'm up there, the whole class is standing up and we're dancing to this song, <laughs> learning debits and credits. And I probably look like a fool, but we're laughing and they enjoy it. And then I stand at the doorway on their way out and they have to tell me if they're heading to the debit or the credit when they're leaving. So it's okay to, if you like to, to have fun, you know, just be yourself. Every wedding I go to from now on, I'm never going to look at the electric slide the same. <laughs> so you know that song. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is funny. That is funny. Yeah. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions. And so I want to make sure we get through those. First one is usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Well, when I was... I'd say when I was with Cisco, it was when I became the director of internal audit after I started as a staff auditor with them and worked my way up to a senior and then a manager and then a senior manager. And within about five years, I was the director of the internal audit department at Cisco and had about 26 to 30 people, auditors working for me. I probably have to say that was my proudest point in my career at Cisco. In teaching, I would say my First year, I told you I was working all those hours. Maybe they just felt sorry for me, but I was named the first year teacher of the year at my school, at St. Ranch High School. And then I was put into the running for our district, and I was named the outstanding first year teacher for our, our district. So I'd say that was probably one of my proudest moments as a teacher. Wow. Wow, that is impressive. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Hard work pays off. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and I, I learned all that working those busy seasons at Price Waterhouse. There you go. Well, second question, tell us about a mistake you made and what you learned from it, because that's what we're really going for. But the more colossal, the better. Well, I don't know if this is so much a mistake or more an embarrassing moment, but I share this one with my class too. I told you when I was leaving or when I decided to listen to the recruiter and interview, when I was leaving Pricewaterhouse, I had two interviews, one with Cisco and the other with an oil and gas company in their internal audit department. And for the interview, I remembered going and interviewing with, I believe it was the controller of the company. And so I go into his office and his, his office was huge. It was the size of my classroom. And about a third of his office was kind of a boardroom. So we're sitting in the boardroom and these nice cushiony swivel chairs. And about halfway through the interview, I realized that I had been swiveling back and forth <laughs> in my chair because I was probably nervous. Here I am interviewing with the controller of this company. And so I just gripped the table. My knuckles probably started turning white. I gripped the table so hard, but to keep myself from swiveling back and forth. And so that I did not end up getting the job. And I don't know if I made him dizzy when we were interviewing, or maybe I just didn't interview well. I never really heard back from that interview. But that's one of the things when I teach interviewing skills to my business classes and teach about you know what to do during the interview, I always bring that up. And it's funny, the kids remember that one too, because on the test, I'll ask them, 
tell me an interview skill you learned, and a bunch of them will say, don't swivel in your chair. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. That is funny. They're probably thinking, you know, we could hire this guy, but all we have is these rolling chairs. We don't have anything. (laughs) Stay in place. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. Well, last question. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? And then we'll go ahead and close it down. I would say to find a job that you love because you know, you'll never work a day in your life. I don't know where, where I got that advice from, but I told you when I started teaching, I do it. It's a very fulfilling job. And when I first started teaching, I was working some pretty intense hours, but I looked back and I felt I would have done it for free back then because I was having so much fun. You know, if, if you're in a job that you're not enjoying, life's too short. You know, find one that uses your skills or that you do enjoy more and just go for it. So it was scary leaving the, you know, the business world, what I knew going into the unknown. And, you know, I took a good pay cut when I left, but at the time I was single and I just said, you know, I don't want to look back on my life and always wonder, could I have done this? And so that helped because if I hadn't been single at the time, I might, you know, I might still be working in industry. So I took the plunge and, you know, I'm glad I did it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, people talk about work-life balance a lot now for good reason, but it's a whole lot easier to achieve that if you really enjoy what you're doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that. Well, for our audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our site, please do so. We have the show notes for all our episodes. Plus, we have an extraordinary amount of career-related content to help you move your own career forward as well. That site is whereaccountantsgo.com. And if you happen to be an employer, we also have publications to make hiring a lot easier for you also. And that's whereaccountantsgo.com. John, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us. I know scheduling is an issue for everybody these days. So thank you very much. And before we let you go, tell us what is the name of the organization again where we can get involved as professionals at the high school level? Future Business Leaders of America, FBLA. FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us as well. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come. 